1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel.
0: Real love is calling, up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you every
2: sunrise. You know, the harder you resist God, the more he has to hit you with a bigger two by four. Have you noticed that in your life? If you just continue to turn a deaf ear to God, he's gonna to have to hit harder because he wants to get your attention. And so all of us can relate at some point when we've been met with the very gentle two by four of God because we've been stubborn and rebellious and we've been going a different direction. Seven years of tribulation is God's final wake up call for a Christ rejecting God forsaking world. So events will be horrible on the earth, but it's an extreme measure to get the attention of one last generation
1: Have you ever brushed off God's gentle rebuke and then He finally gets your attention through more extreme circumstances? You probably wished you had listened to God in the first place. Today, Pastor Gary teaches that the seven-year tribulation will be God's final and harshest rebuke. to get the attention of unbelievers. If you're a believer in Christ, then you will already have been raptured to heaven. If you're not a believer, come to Jesus Christ today you don't want to be here for the tribulation. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 40, as he continues his message, Israel and the End Times.
2: We're continuing in Ezekiel and concluding the book in a three-part series, the last of our three-part series that I've entitled Israel and the End Times. Remember that the final 13 chapters of the book of Ezekiel are prophetic in nature, some of which have been fulfilled and much of which has yet to be fulfilled. And if you've been here over the past couple of weeks, you know that the last 13 chapters have basically been broken down like this. Chapters 36 and 37, Ezekiel prophesied about the re of the state of Israel. That was fulfilled in 1948. In chapters 38 and 39, he spoke about nations that would converge in a confederation of nations that would culminate in the battle of Armageddon. So chapters 38 and 39, Not necessarily specific about the Battle of Armageddon, but events leading up to and eventually including the Battle of Armageddon, which is only mentioned Armageddon once in the Bible, Revelation chapter 16. But Ezekiel sees these things, the Lord shows him in advance these nations that converge, and he writes about it there in chapters 38 and 39. That was last week's study. And then for today, we're going to be looking at chapters 40 to 48 which deal with the kingdom age, also known as the millennial reign of Christ. So, Ezekiel is given this vision by the Lord, and he sees way down past his day, certainly, and these chapters are past our day as well, but we're looking forward to the imminent return of Christ. How many of you are looking forward to the fact that Jesus is coming again? But unlike the meek and mild baby Jesus at his first coming— His second coming will be with fire in his eyes and he will be riding a white horse And he will make war with all the nations that have come against israel and the god of israel And he will settle that battle once and for all known as the battle of armageddon and when he finishes defeating those nations that have come against israel and the god of israel the bible says that he then makes his way to the temple mount of the city of jerusalem and he enters through the east gate, and he establishes himself on the throne in the temple of Jerusalem that has yet to be built, and he will rule and reign over the earth for a thousand years. That's the kingdom age or the millennial reign, and this is what God shows Ezekiel here. God gives Ezekiel great detail about this future temple that will be built, and he gives Ezekiel, even the detail of which gate our Lord will enter as he comes into Jerusalem for that kingdom age, for that millennial reign. And so here in chapter 43, I'm going to read the first five verses, which talk about that a little bit here. Chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. And afterward, he brought me to the gate. Ezekiel writes here about how the Lord is showing him these things. The gate that faces toward the east and behold The glory of the god of israel came from the way of the east His voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with his glory It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river kabar and I fell on my face "...and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple." So Ezekiel sees this day when the Lord returns, and when the Lord returns, the glory of the Lord returns and fills this temple yet to be built uh, in Jerusalem. Now, interestingly, King David wrote something similar. The Lord had shown him this day as well. And in Psalm chapter 24, David writes this in verses 7 through 10. He says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So David sees this day as well. Now remember, if you weren't here for the earlier chapters of Ezekiel, back in chapter 10, verse 18, Ezekiel is given a vision by the Lord of seeing the glory of the Lord depart from Jerusalem because of the idolatry and the sin of the people. God's glory left the temple area there. And then here, God has given Ezekiel the privilege of seeing way into the future when the glory of the Lord shall return to Jerusalem and fill the whole earth because the presence of the Lord returns. And so, when he does, and when he establishes himself on the throne of this temple that will be built in Jerusalem, and he rules and reigns for a thousand years, this is the kingdom age. This is what Ezekiel is talking about. So we're going to unpack these last few chapters here together and understand what all this means to us as we kind of look into the future through the lens of the prophet Ezekiel. So let's pray first, and then we'll unpack these chapters together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love in our lives, and we thank you that you've given us information about the future, that we might be ready, that you would find us faithful and watching, that our hearts would be prepared, that our lives would would be lived in such a way to honor you in holiness that we, Lord, would welcome your blessed return. It is the hope of the church that you are coming again. So fill our hearts with anticipation and joy and help us not to be weighed down by the cares of this world and to grow weary by all the things that we see happening around us. But Lord, may we just leave here today rejoicing with the reminder or maybe for some, the information for the first time, that you're coming again, Lord. And we just look forward to that day. We love you and we praise you together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So today's Eastern Gate, located along the city wall of Jerusalem, this is also known as the Golden Gate. And it is the only gate that has been walled up and shut among the different gates in the old city of Jerusalem. It's a double-arched gate that has been uh, blockaded since 810 A.D. when the Muslims walled it up. It was briefly opened again in 1102 A.D. by the Crusaders, and then it was walled up again by Saladin, the first sultan of Egypt, after regaining Jerusalem in 1187 A.D., the eastern gate here was ultimately sealed and completely barricaded by the Muslims in 1541 AD by the Ottoman Sultan Suleiman, And it was a defensive move on his part. Suleiman knew the Jewish scriptures, and he knew the scriptures that we are even looking at today. And in a defensive move, he permanently walled over the Eastern Gate because he knew that the Jewish scriptures said that the Messiah would come through the Eastern Gate. And in order to try to fortify the gate even further, Suleiman placed a Muslim cemetery in front of the gate because he also knew that the Jewish scriptures said that a Kohen or a priest would never defile himself and walk among dead bodies. So Suleiman figured that he could keep out the Messiah with some rocks and a cemetery. But how many of you know, when Jesus comes again, he's going through that wall. It doesn't matter what's in front of him. He's going through that wall, and he's taking his rightful place on the throne, on the temple of Jerusalem. Now, it may not necessarily be this exact gate that he walks through, and I say that only because... The Bible says when Jesus returns again, there will be a great earthquake. And I suspect that just about everything's going to be leveled on the Temple Mount. Because presently, you have no Jewish temple. Presently, you have two Muslim sanctuaries, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Jesus is not going to share the territory with other gods. And so when he returns... The walls might be leveled, certainly the mosques are going to be leveled, and he's going to set himself up and rule and reign. Whether the wall stands through the earthquake or not is kind of immaterial. There will be some gate on the eastern side that Jesus will walk through, irrespective of what Suleiman tried to do. Jesus is coming again. He's going to make his way from the Mount of Olives over the Kidron Valley into the city of Jerusalem through the east gate, and nothing and no one will stop him from setting up his throne in the temple of Jerusalem. Now, the temple that Jesus will occupy, again, is presently not there. It will end up being the fourth temple. The first temple, just by way of just a brief review, the first temple was built by Solomon in the 900s B.C., The plans were given to his father, David, but God said to David, because you have shed blood, your hands have blood on them and in war, and thus you cannot build me a temple. Your son will build it. But God gave David all the specifications and the drawings. And then David contributed out of his own personal resources for the building of the temple. So Solomon built the first temple. And it would stand about 500 years until 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come, destroy the city of Jerusalem, destroy and level the temple. And then it would be rebuilt after the Jews finished their period of captivity in Babylon. And the Lord graciously returned them under the leadership of Ezra and then also Nehemiah, who would rebuild the walls of the city. Ezra would lead a group of Jewish people to rebuild the temple. The second temple would not be as glorious as the first, And even those who could remember the first would weep at the building of the second because it paled in comparison to the first temple. But nevertheless, they would build a temple. It would be the second temple. King Herod the Great, centuries later, would come along and refurbish that second temple as a way to ingratiate himself with the Jewish people. And this wonderful, extensive building project would happen under the leadership of King Herod the Great. That would be the temple still considered the second temple, During the time of Jesus' ministry... But then that temple would be destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans under the emperor Titus Vespasian, who would lead a military campaign against Jerusalem because of a revolt among the Jewish people against the Roman Empire. That second temple would be leveled, and it has remained empty to this day. No Jewish temple since 70 A.D. has existed on the Temple Mount of the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says, however, that that's going to change that there will be a third temple to be built, and that temple will be occupied by the Antichrist. There will be a peace agreement, the book of Daniel says, for a period of seven years, where some very charismatic global leader will occupy the world stage. He will convince Muslims and Jews and Gentiles to get along and divide up the Temple Mount. And once again, a Jewish temple will be built on the Temple Mount, under the auspices of the Antichrist. But the Bible says that he will come into that temple, the Antichrist, and he will proclaim himself to be God. And then the eyes of people will be opened to realize that they've been deceived. That's the third temple. But then our Lord returns. And when he returns, that great earthquake, that temple and all other remnants of other temples will be completely destroyed. And then this fourth temple will be built. Jesus will occupy it. From there, he will rule and he will reign. The last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel, this is a bit of information overload, and I'm going to try to break it down and help us to see it from 30,000 feet rather than to try to get bogged down in the weeds. But you can divide the last nine chapters in three sections like this. In chapters 40 to 42, Ezekiel writes about the description of this new temple In chapters 43 to 44, he writes about the worship in the temple. And then chapters 45 to 48, he talks about the land around the temple. He's very meticulous and detailed. God gives him the measurements, instructions about the design, and he sees all this, and he writes it down using the measurement of the ancient Babylonian cubit, which was a royal cubit, the length of 21 inches. And so everything is spelled out, and it probably would not do us well to just go through every single detail. You can read all of it on your own. But in order for us to see this from a bird's-eye view, Uh, I'm going to, instead of following that pattern of these three sections, I'm going to instead teach it from this perspective. What will be different, absent, and present about the millennial reign and the temple? What will be different about that time? What will be missing? What will be absent? And what will be present? What will be there about the millennial reign and the temple? Now, before we look into these three things, first question. Where do we fit into all of this? Where do we see ourselves in the timeline of events? And so I first want to just share a timeline with us so that we can kind of get a perspective of what exactly Ezekiel is talking about so we can orient ourselves about things that are to come. So let's talk history first. Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead and he ascended back into heaven. That's all recorded in the Bible. That's history and that's present tense because Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the father. When Jesus ascended back into heaven, it ushered in the church age. We are presently living in the church age, where Jesus basically hands us the baton. He says, now, I want you to represent me in the world. I want you to be salt and light in the world. I want you to tell people about me, that as many people as possible would come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is the church age. We're living in it right now. The next thing that's going to happen on the timeline of events that is still to come will be the rapture of the church. That is to say that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, there's a generation that will not experience death. There will be a moment in time, the Bible says. When the Lord will return just in the clouds, not all the way to the earth, just in the clouds, and the trumpet call of God will sound. And it talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that the dead in Christ will rise first to get glorified bodies, even though their spirits have already been in heaven, their bodies rise from the grave to be glorified and reunited with their spirit. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. So there's a generation of us that will never experience death. We will be transformed We will get a glorified body on the way up when the lord returns to gather us in the clouds with him Then we will be kept in heaven during this seven years of tribulation and during the seven years of tribulation there will be cataclysmic natural disasters that have never been experienced on planet earth before. It's recorded in Revelation 6 through 18. The reason is because God is trying to get people's attention for the very last time. You know, the harder you resist God, the more he has to hit you with a bigger two by four. Have you noticed that in your life? If you just continue to turn a deaf ear to God, he's going to have to hit harder because he wants to get your attention. And so all of us can relate at some point when we've been met with the very gentle two-by-four of God because we've been stubborn and rebellious and we've been going a different direction. Seven years of tribulation is God's final wake-up call for a Christ-rejecting, God-forsaking world. So events will be horrible on the earth, but it's an extreme measure to get the attention of one last generation before he comes again to the earth. And when he comes again to the earth he will bring the saints with him who have already died or been raptured and kept in heaven. And the Bible says that we will come again with the Lord and then his second coming settles the battle of Armageddon, ends the seven years of tribulation and ushers in the kingdom age or the millennial reign of Christ. This is what Ezekiel's talking about here in these last few chapters. He's talking about the thousand-year period of time when Christ returns to the earth, the saints with him, battle of Armageddon done, all the nations opposed to him defeated. He separates the righteous from the unrighteous. And now we rule and reign with him, the saints who have returned with Jesus on earth for a thousand years. After this, there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's not for today's Bible study. People who accept Christ during the seven years of tribulation, it's possible to accept him during that time period, will enter into the millennial kingdom, and basically live out the rest of their lives like normal. But the saints who return with Jesus will rule and reign with him for that thousand years. This is what Ezekiel is seeing. God is showing him way in advance. I mean, he's sixth century BC. He's seeing things beyond our time. And he's looking ahead to this day when Christ returns. Where do we fit in with all of that? Listen again. If you die knowing Christ as your Savior, or if you are raptured knowing Christ as your Savior... You will be kept in heaven, and then we will return with the Lord, all right? Or, either that, or a person can get saved during the seven years of tribulation and come into the millennial reign of Christ and live out their normal life, all right? But that's where we will be in there somewhere, either returning with him, or, if you're not saved already... Getting saved during the tribulation period and entering the millennial reign, living out your life is normal. Again, like the last few many chapters of Ezekiel has been, as I've been teaching, it's like, you know, I know you think you're drinking out of a fire hose. I get that. And I wish it was just a garden hose, but you know, there's a lot of information, but it's important for you to know this. Okay. It's important for us to have our hearts prepared and to know there's going to be the rapture of the church. God's going to take us home. He's going to come again. He's going to rule and reign on the earth. You need to be equipped to know this. Frankly, for personal reasons, I don't want to be embarrassed, all right? Because there's going to be a day, all right? If you know Christ is your Savior, don't go, Jesus, I didn't know you were coming again. I didn't know that. Because then he's going to say, what church do you go to? <laughs> all right? So you need to know this. We all need to know this. He's coming again. And so let's talk about how things will be different, absent, and present. Revelation 20, verse 6 says, the saints will be priests of God and of Christ, and we will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, it's interesting that Ezekiel tells us in chapter 44, verse 15, that the actual priests who will serve during the millennial period of time will only be Jewish believers, specifically who are of the tribe of Levi through the descendants of Aaron and Zadok. God is very specific here in Ezekiel 44, verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me. And so it appears in the Bible that when the Lord returns, Jewish believers will serve as priests, or at least some of them will be assigned, those who are descendants of Aaron through Zadok, will be assigned as priests to serve the Lord in spiritual matters and ministry. And then other believers, meaning Gentiles, will help him serving under our Lord Jesus to administrate the rest of the world, to help rule and reign with him. That in other words, we, the saints will be serving as governors and be responsible as like mayors of territories and areas. So that's going to be our assignment during the millennial reign. That's how we're going to rule and reign with him. And just so you know, I'm just letting you know in advance. I already have Bermuda. All right? I already have Bermuda. I put it in years ago, and um, it's been approved. So that's where I'm going to be. Now, what will be different here? Ezekiel does not spend too much talking about life itself and how it will be different during the millennial reign. He talks more specifically about the temple. But other prophets do talk about how life will be different during the millennial reign. Isaiah in particular, has more to say about what life will be like than really just about any other prophet. And a couple of the things that Isaiah tells us is, number one, that it will be a time of unprecedented peace. They have to imagine, of course it will, because Jesus is going to be on the throne. All jump in
1: and you'll find the your connection run towards your new life. The radio broadcast of Cornerstone Connection comes to you from Cornerstone Chapel, located in Leesburg, Virginia. You heard Pastor Gary teach from the book of Ezekiel, one of the many prophets in Old Testament times. This book gives us a good glimpse of the seriousness of sin to God. We have a tendency to minimize the severity of sin in our lives, but not so with God. He wants us to recognize sin for the evil it is. Maybe like me, you've found yourself believing that sin is no big deal or that some sin is worse than others. Sin is sin in God's eyes. And when we refuse to address the sin present in our own hearts, He, as our righteous judge and authority, will deal with our sin according to His perfect wisdom. Friends, let's us confess our sin and turn to Jesus. Did you enjoy today's message? We hope so. Be sure to take the time to hear more messages from Pastor Gary. Head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc to get started. While you're there, check out our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. Don't miss out on this amazing resource to dive deeper into God's Word. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection.
0: Got no place to go, but still you know but Still you know you're not alone.